I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Philippians, please. Philippians in the first chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, it's page 980. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Philippi. It's a church that he loved very, very much, and he's writing as he is in prison. And he's writing to this church who had received an offering for him and and helped pay for some of the expenses of the ministry. But more than that, more than just financial support, this was a church that really partnered with, with the Apostle Paul in ministry. And he loved this church. And these are the things that he had to say to it. He was thankful for the partnership. The word there is, the Greek word is koinonia, which has the idea of fellowship, partnership, togetherness, working together. We see this word often um, throughout the scriptures, particularly in 1 Corinthians. Paul again uses it in reference to the Lord's Supper. And, and over and over again, he has this idea of our partnership in the gospel. So they were running together. They were running a race together. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time here, and then I hope to share some encouraging words from this text. Father, I pause now because I, I want you and your spirit to teach us and to guide us. Um, we just sang, your grace is enough. And I'm so grateful for that. Your grace is enough for us to have an understanding of this text. Your grace is enough for me to be able to stand here and teach. Your grace is enough for us to get along with one another. Your grace is enough for us to have this partnership in the gospel. And we're grateful for that grace. And so I pray that we would be people who are encouraged by this text of scripture this morning. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I don't know if you had the opportunity to 
uh, watch the Olympics much this uh, last few weeks. Uh, Olympics obviously have concluded this year, but uh, it's one of those things where I always look forward to the Olympics every time it comes around. Uh, in fact, uh, one time uh, my daughter wanted to watch something on TV, and I said, no, the Olympics are on. And she said, well, so, type thing, like, what does that mean? You know, I'm like, when the Olympics are on, that's what we watch. You know, I find myself watching stuff I would never watch in my life before. I mean, I would never, never watch diving at all. Sorry, Mike. Um, but I, I just wouldn't do it. I mean, I was talking with Mike about it, and he was explaining to me, for those of you who know, Mike was a diver in college. And I, uh, I was asking him questions, and Mike's throwing these terms out, like, you know, pike and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, I, I don't get it. And, and I said, and, and I don't understand how you judge one dive from the next. I mean, I know it's supposedly all in the splash, but there's, there's got to be more to it than that. And Mike was trying to help me understand it. And I, and I think, and again, I'm getting a little off my illustration here, but I think it would be good to have like a normal guy jump off first. Then have the diver up. Then you can compare. You're like, ah, that's why it's different, okay? I think that would be a, a you know great ratings because I watch this. I'm just like, looks good to me. And the announcer, oh, you know, and all this. So I find myself watching sports I never watched before. But there's a sense of you know your country's pride and all this. And in our house, of course, we have two countries represented. And so in the rare time that Canada and the U.S. are going up against each other for something, um, Anouk and I uh, have this friendly little bantering, and she's used to losing, which is good. And so. It's great. It, it works out well. We have this great fellowship together, this partnership. And so we have this, this, this Olympics and things, you know. And then, and then what intrigued me the most this last Olympics was, was the track and the, and the relay races. I just found myself uh, really, really intrigued by, by all of this. And, and there was a lot of drama in, in, in the, the men's and women's relay teams. Okay, so for the women's team, they, they almost didn't qualify. I don't know if you saw that or not. And so I put a picture up there. Uh, maybe it's up there. I don't know. Okay, so there's the, there's the, the, the team, and, and they were running in their qualifying heat. And as they were passing the baton, one person from another lane, I can't remember which country it was from, probably Canada, but, probably, but went over into the lane and, and knocked one of our our runners, and uh, she dropped the baton during the middle of the the, uh, the handoff, and so they had to. Uh, they, so they finished the race, but of course they came in last place, and they were favored to win the gold medal. So they did this appeal and say, you know, they got interfered with and all this stuff. So they ended up letting them run the qualifying race again. But the thing was, it, it was there was only our team. On the track, it was one. T- I've never seen it before. It was one team on the track, and they're running around racing against nobody. It, it was it was it was amazing. They did really well, and so there's a lot of drama there. The men's team. Now I put it. I don't know if you you remember seeing the the, the men's team. What happened here? They won the bronze medal. They won it. Uh, they were going up against Jamaica, who has Usain Bolt. So if you don't know who Usain Bolt is, you've been under a rock. But uh, he, he's the world's fastest man. And uh, interesting side note, in 2008, when he won his first gold medal for Jamaica, uh, I was in Jamaica 
when they when the Olympics were on and he was running that first race and the country shut down. We were running, we were doing some mission work there and everyone crowded around this little TV. And so I was there in Jamaica when he won his first gold medal and the whole place was going nuts. So so they're just this, this favorite team. Then the, the, the men's team was, uh, was supposed to do pretty well as well, probably a silver medal. They won the bronze medal, but then they were disqualified because they had started the handoff of the baton while the one guy's foot was slightly past the line. I think I have a picture of it circled there. I don't know if you can see it or not. Um, so, like, as I, and I didn't understand all this, and it says live, it's not. Um, but um, you, you see, you, you see this handoff taking place, and it was just beyond that line, uh, and uh, they were disqualified. So, lots of, lots of, lots of drama in the relay in in uh, both men's and women's this year in the Olympics. But you know, as I watched that, as, as I saw, I saw it's so important, there's so many lessons to be learned, the importance of teamwork, the importance of right handoffs, uh, the importance of, of making sure that, that you practice well, you run well, you know each other, you work together. Um, you had to abide by the rules, like, you know, for one person, he ran that lap and maybe he had a great time, but he couldn't run a second lap. He had to pass the baton off. In the relay, you can't say, hey, I'm doing good, let me do another lap. You've you got to pass that off. You have to work together as this partnership. And so as I was watching this unfold, I, I started thinking about our church and, and the church in general of how that, that we really have a partnership. And I see this in this text here when it says this. He says in verse 4, he says, Making uh, every prayer of mine with you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So I have two main points today. The first one is this, that we are in a partnership right here. If you're part of this church, you're in a partnership. We're in a team together. Okay, we're, 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 this is what God has put together. And so we, I, wanna, I want us to think about that just for a couple minutes here. First of all, our partnership, we understand what the purpose is. It's for the gospel. That's why that God has put us together. It says in verse 5, it's for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel means. The gospel means that Jesus Christ came and he died for sinners so that we can have forgiveness and we can be part of the family of God. That's the gospel. It's good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news, and that's what our partnership is about. And so that's the reason what brings us and draws us together here. And so it's not personalities that forge our partnership here at our church. It's not common recreational interests that forge our partnership. It's not our age group, or it's not a background or experience. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that forms our partnership here. And so when we know the purpose of it, we know then how we should act. And then that gives us the reason of what we're running about. And so it's just like the men's and women's team. They were there to win the medal for their country. They were there to try to cross that line first. And they were brought together for that purpose. They were brought together to showcase new uniforms. They were brought together to try to get as much PR as possible. That's not why they were brought together. That partnership, that team was put together for one purpose, and that was to win a medal for the United States. And in the women's case, 
successful. In a men's case, unsuccessful. But they were part of the partnership. And so my plea for us today is to remember what brings us together. Why are we part of this church? It is for the gospel. It is for the good news of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and so, so that it, we need to know that so if we're going to run together well, if we're going to be running together side by side, as verse 27 of this text says, look at verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, Only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is the reason why we have this partnership. This is the reason why that we are together here this morning and we are part of this church. It is so that the gospel can go forth. But we have to understand, we have to be agreed on that purpose and remember, in the beginning of the year, we talked about getting back to the why. We had a bullseye up there as a graphic. The why is, and we talked about this in the beginning, getting back to the why, uh, uh, defining, describing a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about this several, several times, about getting back to the why. Why do we exist? And this is what he's talking about. It's for the gospel. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. That's the target. That's our center. So everything we should do, every ministry we take on, every activity we should take on, we should go back to the why and say, we are here to make disciples. And so I am part of this church to make disciples. I am part of this church to see disciples grow and to see disciples being made. And so that means one, new people coming in and becoming converted to Jesus Christ. That is one of the reasons why I'm here. This is one of the reasons why you are here. This is one of the reasons why this church exists, to see new people come to know Jesus Christ. And it's also to see those people who are believers in Christ grow in their relationship and their discipleship with Jesus Christ. So this is our partnership. This is why we're here. This is why God has, has forged this team right here for us to make disciples and our own discipleship and the discipleship of other people. And we strive for it. This is the goal Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 says this, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Jesus gives one command here. He says, go make disciples. You do it through teaching, you do it through baptizing, you do it through going as you're going, as you go about in your life, make disciples. This is what Jesus was saying. But he says, this team is for making disciples. That's why our church is here. But it's not easy. Colossians chapter 1 says this. Put it on the screen. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal, discipleship. For this reason, I toil, struggling with all his Christ's energy uh, that he powerfully works within me. I toil, struggling. This isn't easy. This is the reason, my friends, why we grow weary in well-doing. This is the reason why we struggle in our day-to-day -day life of being motivated to do what we ought to do. Because it's a spiritual battle. 
It's difficult. What I am calling us to do, now let me say that back. What I'm telling you that Jesus has called us to do is not easy. And we get weary. We get tired. And we're going to see in just a few minutes that there's threats to this partnership. But we have to understand, we have to remember that our partnership is for the gospel. For this, to present everyone mature in Christ. What are you doing to help present others mature in Christ? What is it that, how are you pouring into other people's lives? I, I didn't put this on the screen. I probably should have. But, but you remember I used to put, I've, I've put up a few times that graphic, the blank, your name, blank. You remember that? And it was, it was about how that someone should be pouring into you and you pouring into someone else. See, that, that's where this comes from, right here. We toil and we struggle. I'm not going to pretend it's easy. I'm not going to pretend that we don't feel like giving up sometimes. My friend, I feel like giving up. If I can be transparent, this last week was really difficult for me. Just tired. Just tired. You know, I, don't, I wasn't thinking about giving up in the sense of, you know, throwing in the towel or anything like that, but just, just weary. And I come back to Philippians chapter 1, and I say, this is what we need. This is why we're here. This partnership for the gospel. But we need to understand something else about this partnership is that it has an eternal pursuit. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 says this. Well, it's one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the mark, uh, or I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians three thirteen and 14. That's one thing you do. Pressing forward to eternal hope, to eternal prize. So we get tired, but there's an eternal prize. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. If you find yourself having lack of motivation in your discipleship, your own personal discipleship, or lack of motivation in helping others in their discipleship, come back to this and say that there's an eternal pursuit here. And ask God to renew that energy. Ask God to encourage your soul through it. And so our our partnership is, is in the gospel. We need to understand that. But secondly, we need to understand that our partnership is forged or formed by God. It says this. It says in verse 6, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. So it, it's Jesus began this, and so he puts you on this path. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, he puts you on this path. It wasn't you that you figured out the, 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 the faith in, in, a, in a way because you're intellectually superior than other people. No, it's because God puts you on this path. And he put this team together. And so if you're here right now, if you're part of this church right now, that, that's God's work. It's God's sovereign working and putting this team together. We're not on this team by our own merit. There, there were no trials or qualifying heats to get on this team. You know, when the Olympics, they have a committee that they select the best possible people that will fit into this team. And they have many people who try out and many people who want to be on the team. And, and, and they select who is on the team and they get on the team. In our case, it's different. It's not based on merit. It's not based on what we've done or personal ability. It's based upon God's sovereign wisdom. And so the team that he's forged here is by his perfect plan. 
And sometimes you look around and you think, why in the world is that person on the team? Why in the world? What are they doing here or whatever? And the point is, is that God put this team together. And so we love one another. Because as you look around at this team, we got to see that we're all, everyone you see is a gift from God. Everyone. Even if personalities clash, which they do. Even if methodology doesn't line up, which happens. If we're a part of this church, it's because God has forged this team for the purpose of the gospel, for making disciples. Hebrews chapter 12 says, He is the author of our faith. So we don't get to choose our teammates. God has sovereignly and wisely made up who we are. And we're praying that God that brings more. And pray that God brings more people to our team here and to our partnership in the gospel here. Right now we have one person we're talking with about membership right now. And if, if you're, cons- you're considering membership, talk to me. We'll, we'll, we'll add you to the class. But the point is, is that let's pray and ask God to bring more people for the purpose of the gospel, for the purpose of disciple making. He's making a team here. He's forging a team. Our partnership is forged by God. And so as we look around, and if there's people that we don't necessarily uh, uh, see eye to eye with, stop and remember, they are part of this team by God's sovereign choice and selection. And let's receive that gift with joy and gladness. And because of that, in order to do that, thirdly, our partnership is held together by grace. The only way for us to act in a way that will bring results, the only way for us to survive this partnership is grace. It says this in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way for you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. So we're all in the same boat. We're, we're, all, we're all receiving the grace of God, and that's what's holding us together because we're all in the same position. Again, Hebrews 12 says that he's the finisher of our faith. And so in order for this partnership, for the gospel, that God has sovereignly put together and forged together, in order for this to work, it's going to take a supernatural intervention. In order for this whole church thing to have any progress or for us to meet the goal of making disciples and to keep us from killing one another, is for God to sovereignly hold us together by his grace. And he does that through changing our hearts. Through giving us the ability to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, to care for one another, to uplift one another in prayer, to help each other. That's all grace. If you have in your heart, which I know many of you do, if you have in your heart this desire to help someone else and to sacrifice yourself, your time, your talents, your abilities to help someone in their pilgrimage, that's not because you're a good person. It's because God's been gracious to you. And it's being held, we're being held together by grace. You know, we were just singing your grace is enough just a few minutes ago and, and I was praying. I was praying, God, your grace is indeed enough. It's enough for for me to get up and preach in a minute. The idea of me coming up and preaching some weeks, this being one of them, is the idea of like how in the world. But your grace is enough. 
The idea for us to get along, the idea for us to love one another, the idea for the sacrifice for one another, that's a grace gift. Don, Mike, and I were talking this week. And we were talking about the church and how we should care for one another. Mike shared a story that he had read in a book. There was a small group in a church that had uh, one member in it that had, it was about $17,000 of debt, was it seventeen? $17,000 of debt that they were wanting to do ministry and things like that. And they said, look, we can't do anything. We're so saddled by debt. And they, and they wanted to make better choices and they, they, they and learn financial principles and things like that. So they maybe had made some, some mistakes that weren't, or uh, made some decisions that weren't the best uh, previous. And so that's the reason why they had this debt. But they, they wanted to work through it and they wanted to do it. But, but they couldn't move forward, they felt. And so they were sharing it as a prayer request. And so the rest of the small group then said, well, how much is it? And they said, 17,000, they said, well, let's raise that amongst our group. Let's pay that debt off for you. And another person in the group was very gifted with financial matters and budgeting and things like that and said, well, hey, let us, let, let's, let's, let's help you with that and help you with the budgeting and things like that. And so that small group, that little group in the church there paid off $17,000 of debt for someone else in the church and they, uh, they, they helped that person grow in, in budgeting and things like that so that then they could all work together as a group in this partnership for the gospel. That's a beautiful story. That is awesome. Everyone wants to be part of that group, right? Everyone's thinking, man, if they got 17 grand laying around, I'm in that group, okay? But it wasn't laying around. I can imagine it was sacrificial giving on everyone's part. But they did it for the gospel. Now I'm not saying that's the mark that we have to hit, where we're willing to pay off other people's debts and things like that. But... If we're a partnership, that's not outside the scope of possibility. You see, this is what God's calling us to do, of to love one another. And that is a grace gift of God. When, 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 when that is moved in the hearts of those people to do that, that was a gift of grace. And it helped that person. It helped that family. And so our partnership is held together by grace. Let's go back to the Olympics. Let's go back to the relays. I mentioned Jamaica's team. I mentioned the Jamaican relay team. Here they are. Um, the one on the far right there is Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. And they were, uh, the other three guys, they're, they're very good athletes in their own right. But the Jamaican team, the other three guys, really had one goal, okay? And that goal, because Bolt, Usain Bolt, was running anchor the last leg. Their goal was this. Don't get too far behind, okay? That was their goal, okay? So don't be too far behind when you pass the baton to Bolt, okay? Because as soon as he gets it, he's going to win the race. But... You know, just, 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 just don't get too far behind. And then he'll carry it through. You know, as I, as I was thinking, that, and it's funny, I mean, I'm serious. This is him. You know, I mean, I wish that I could say that was photoshopped and, and, and that smile. It's not. I mean, he just, he, he's incredible to watch when he runs. And he's super fast, obviously. But people try to catch him and... They just don't. He's too fast. You know, it's a grace gift for us 
that in some ways in every analogy breaks down at some point. Okay, so very quickly you could find holes in this analogy and I recognize that. But you know, a lot of times for us in this partnership, Jesus says, just don't get too far behind. I'll carry us through. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll bring us across the finish line. Just don't, just don't, just don't mess it up too much. Now, it, it breaks down because it's not dependent on us, and I understand that. But I just want the emotional, the, the emotional appeal of that analogy. Jesus has got this. He's carrying us by his grace. It's okay. So let's just run the best we can. Let's do the best we can and understand that it's, it's Jesus that's going to win this for us. This is his grace gift. So we have a partnership here. I told you those two points. The second one is this, that our partnership is in constant danger. It's always in danger. Always. What we have here, the beautiful thing we have as a church here, and I love this church, I love you people here, the, thing, the beautiful thing that we have here is in constant danger. It's in danger from external sources, first of all. We see this idea of uh, uh, this attack of, from the outside. Um, we're told over and over again about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says this. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual warfare that is constantly attacking our church. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, the reason why I bring this up, that we are under constant attack, is that I think if we remember that, it will cause us to be much more gracious and patient towards each other. If, 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 if we look at each other and say, look, Satan is, is attacking us as a church. And Satan is, is using the flesh, using sin, using temptation, often to trip us up. And so if I know that about my own soul, I can assume that of other people. And so therefore I can be patient with one another when I recognize that instead of this being a personal attack on me, that there's a spiritual attack that's going on to our whole entire church. So instead of getting bent out of shape about it, I can be praying about it. And say, I pray for them. And we uphold one another. You see, we're under constant attack. Our church is in constant attack all the time. I see it all the time. And I pray. And I pray. But it's not just external attacks. There's also the danger of being... A dysfunctional team. That is the other tack I want to finish talking about today. Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And it's a great book. It's written in a, in a parable form. Uh, if you've not read it, many of you probably in business have read it. Um, it it's, it's a really good book on leadership. Um, I highly recommend it. 
But what struck me as I was reading the book is there's these five dysfunctions. And he puts it in a pyramid form. Put it on the screen for you so you can see it. I don't know if you can read it all. But you have on the bottom absence of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability. And the last one is inattention to results. And so as I was looking to read through this, and of course in the book it's all about business and things like that, and of course that's all the applications and things, but as I began to read this book, I began to think about it in terms of the church, in terms of our partnership, not just our church, but the church at large, and all the churches that I've been a part of. And, and I wonder, so as I put that up there, I, I really I, you know, have, have two questions for you. The first question is this. As you look at that list, and I know I haven't defined them all yet, but as you look at that list, do you see any of that in our church? Do you look at those five things there? Do you see any of those in our church? For those who are members of the church, you know the church, you know. um, Do you see any of those? That's a question for you to wrestle with and think about. And the second question that I have is this, is that if you see that, or even if you don't, which of those five do you think people recognize the first? Or talk about the first. Okay, so let's go back to those two questions. Number one, I, I see these, okay? In every church I've been a part of, I see them, and I see them here, Okay. And I think the number one that people start thinking of first, or recognize the first, or that annoys people the most, is not absence of trust, is not inattention to results, is not fear of conflict, it's not avoidance of accountability, it's lack of commitment. I think it's the one that people see the first, and people who are, are invested in the church, and they feel like they're the only ones, they're the only ones, you know, trying to make things go, and so they, they have this, like, this, this commitment, and then they look around and say, how come no one else is doing this? And they get frustrated by it. You see, this, this what we have here, is, is some attacks that I believe against our church. So let me just walk through this quickly. We're not going to spend a long time on it, but I'm just going to walk through it real quickly and then show how I see some of these, and there's even biblical examples of them. So let's start at the bottom, absence of trust. This is so important. This is the idea of unwillingness to be vulnerable in a group. It's the idea of an attitude of suspicion, uh, being hypercritical or assuming the worst. Uh, this is seen in, in keeping to yourself and, and, or, or saying, no, I don't, I, I'm not willing to, to, to trust that other person, obviously. And so in a church setting, this is really difficult. This is detrimental, I should say, to our partnership if there's absence of trust. Now, in the beginning, I mean, there's always going to be absence of trust in some level. And this is why it's foundational. This is why it's the first one. And the reason why is because time usually is the healer of absence of trust. The more you know someone, the more you trust them, uh, unless they give you reason not to trust them. And so when new people come and join the team and stuff like that, it's, it's kind of hard to, to trust that person. Okay? And so time. But there comes a time where we just have to trust people. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it's an action, it's a command. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, just do it. Trust God. Okay, so if we have to ask ourselves, do we see this threat to our church partnership here, this absence of trust? Do we trust one another? Are we willing to be honest with each other? Do we have this this idea where you, you trust your leaders and your leaders trust you? And the people around you, you trust each other. 
Honestly, it's something I think that we need to grow in, in this idea of trusting each other. And there's lots of things that we could talk about this, but I think one of the reasons why, if you remember in the scriptures, you remember when Paul was getting ready to go back on his second, he was going to go on his second missions trip. The first trip, he went with Barnabas and John Mark, and they had this great trip. But then, early on in the trip, though, John Mark left. And, and he, didn't, he, he didn't finish the trip. So when the second trip came around, Barnabas wanted to invite John Mark to come back with him and Paul on this trip. And Paul said no. He said, I don't want John Mark. Why did Paul say that? Why did Paul say, I don't want, I don't want John Mark? Was it because the guy didn't take a bath? <laughs> was it because he didn't like his preaching style? No, it was the absence of trust. He says, I can't trust him. And it shut down the team right there because there was no trust. And so we've got to ask ourselves, if, if we have, if you're feeling like an absence of trust in, you know, in your part of this team, let's, let's work through that and let's see why is that. And let's, and, let's, and let's let time overcome that, but then let's have these discussions that we need to have. But here's the problem. The second one, fear of conflict. This is where people don't talk about anything. Okay? Fear of conflict has this idea of incapable of engaging in unfiltered and passionate debates about ideas. Okay? Having the ability to discuss ideas. And the reason why is because the, a person's identity and their idea get conflated or confused. And so what happens is, is that I'm not going to passionately talk about my idea uh, because I'm afraid it's getting shut down. And if you shut my idea down, you're shutting me down because I've then replaced my identity with the idea that I'm trying to lobby for. But when there's this uh, uh, um, non-fear of conflict, and again, conflict doesn't mean fighting like, you know, beating each other up and arguing. It's just saying that not in agreement. If, if, if I'm willing to, to say, you know, I have this idea, and, and if you disagree with me, you're not rejecting me as a person. Then we can have good, unfiltered, passionate conversations with one another. But what happens is, is that so many times, is that when there's a disagreement, we take it personally right away. And believe me, my heart goes there too. I have to constantly remind myself, don't confuse identity with idea, Jeremy. Don't confuse identity with idea, identity, idea with identity, because it's easy for us to do. And so what happens is, when we don't consciously work against this, we don't talk. And we clam up, and we refuse to talk about maybe something that's bothering us or a misunderstanding we might have. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times over the course of my life where someone has finally spilled out something that they were upset with me about or something that was a long time, and it was a misunderstanding. Or it was something that I did stupid and I needed to repent of. I just didn't have the chance. See, this is detrimental to our team if we have this fear of conflict, because what happens is, is we have dull discussions, guarded comments, passive-aggressive tactics, or just silence. That's what happens. And really, the product of this is artificial harmony. It's like, well, there's no fights in the church. There's no fighting. Everyone's getting along. Well, yeah, because no one's talking. No one's disagreeing about anything. I actually like it when people disagree, as long as people can disagree in a loving way. Because that means we're trying to shape and, sh and sharpen one another. But if we just go along to get along, we're never going to grow. We're never going to grow. 
this fear of conflict. Now, an opposite example of this in the scriptures would be when Paul confronted Peter and said, hey, you're moving away from what we've been preaching here concerning of who you eat dinner with. And with the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, there was passionate debate there and discussion there. And they left as friends. You know, it was Paul and, and, and people often talk about Paul and Peter's that conflict there. You know what the beautiful thing about that is that at the end of that, when Peter, when Paul rebuked Peter and said, hey, you're doing this wrong, Peter didn't say, I'm going to go start my own church. They worked together still. They loved one another. They were still in the partnership because they could have that. Because they weren't confusing identity with ideas. Fear of conflict. When I come to that lack of commitment, again, we could be talking more and more, so much about all these things, but I don't want to spend too much time on this. But lack of commitment, too much more time on this, just say. Lack of commitment. This is an environment of little buy-in and commitment to decisions. This is seen in lack of support unless it directly affects me. So this is the idea of, of, of just saying, okay, fine, if that's what you all want to do, do it, but I, I'm not getting behind it. That's not me. This is the slack of commitment that kills partnership. An illustration of this would be maybe the rich young ruler who, when he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, he said, uh, uh, you know, keep the law. And Jesus says, yeah, I've done that, done that, done that. He gives things. And so finally Jesus says, all right, I'll tell you, you do one more thing. You take what you have, sell it, give it to the poor. And then the guy said, ooh, I can't do that. And he went away, very grieved because the Bible says he had so many possessions. He wasn't willing to support, he wasn't willing to fully buy into what Jesus was saying. He said, nope. Now, now it's affecting me in a way that I'm not comfortable with, that I don't like, and so I'm out. And, and that's going to threaten our partnership here. If we develop a mentality of, well, unless it affects me, I'm not going to get supported by it. Or because I don't like this decision, I'm out. You know, we have to submit to one another. There's going to be times where there's decisions made for the benefit of everyone or for the benefit of the whole uh, uh, scope that decisions are made. And if you don't like it, and if I don't like it, we just got to live with it. We got to do that with love and in partnership. We're willing to passionately talk about those things because we trust one another. And then if we trust one another, and then we can talk with one another about these things, and then we can argue, then we come to the point and say, yeah, but okay, so my idea wasn't gone with, that's okay. I'm committed to the whole scope of the why of making disciples, and this is how we're going to try to do it. So let's do it. But see, it all builds on one another here. Avoidance of accountability. This is counterproductive behavior for the good of the team or the accomplishment of the goals. And so it's, it's, it's uh, not willing to submit to one another, like Ephesians chapter 5 says. It's an idea of maybe I'll do it, but I'll do it on my own terms and by myself. I don't need anyone else in the church. This is seen in maybe not asking for advice or counsel before making major decisions, particularly such as like maybe stepping down from a ministry um, because maybe you fear of being talked out of it. And again, it's not wrong for people to sit down for ministry, but, but maybe there should be some discussion about that. But this is, I, I don't want anyone talking me back into this or anything, so, so I'm done, and, and this is it. And these are just examples. And so if you step down for ministry, I'm not targeting you. I'm just saying that this is sometimes how it's seen. Avoidance of, of saying, okay, letting people speak into my life. Being teachable. 
And so this is the idea of, this idea of, of, of helping people and transitioning in ministry. This is a lot of times where it's seen people leaving the church often is avoidance of accountability. And the importance of a, of a good handoff in the relay. So I'm going to go back to that illustration at least one more time here. Most teams practice the handoffs for about a month or so before the Olympics. Japan's team practiced their handoff for a solid year leading up to this past Olympics. And they won a silver medal. Only behind, guess who? The Jamaicans. Because they got the transitions down. They had it down. And they lost no time in the transitions. Often in the avoidance of accountability is seen in the transitions. Transitioning from a ministry to a different church or whatever. And again, there's nothing wrong with leaving the church necessarily or stepping down from a ministry. But how we do that, if it's avoidance of accountability, that's detrimental to the partnership of the gospel. Diotrephes would be an example of this. In 3 John 9, he was a pastor of the church. As soon as he became the pastor, it says, John says that he does not acknowledge our authority. The apostle's authority. He took the baton and started doing his own thing. He says, I'm not going to let them tell me what to do. They're like a relay race, getting, a runner getting the baton and start running the opposite direction. He says, I'm not going to let them tell me what to do. I'm doing what I want to do. I don't like turning left. I want to turn right. Run the other way. Avoidance of accountability. Detrimental to partnership and teamwork. The last one is inattention to results. Individuals put his or her needs or the needs of their family above the collective goals of the overall team. This is the idea of only supporting or being involved in what I think is good or what directly affects me. And again, we're talking about isolation or selfishness. And the results, the inattention to results here that you see up there, the results that we're talking about for our context is making disciples. And sometimes we say, well, I'm going to be part of this church, but only because of what I can get out of it, because I, I need this, or I need the singing, or I need the, 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 the Bible study, or whatever it is. But it's not the idea of the results of making disciples. And say, so, well, I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but it's not about what the overall goal of the team and partnership is. So withdrawing from church meetings, not just, you know, Sunday morning, so withdrawing from the idea of coming together for our, our, our meetings, our quarterly meetings, our annual meetings, our pancakes and prayers, our discipleship hour, all these type of things. Withdrawing from those things only to focus on what I want to do and not the needs or the benefit of others or making disciples is this inattention to results here. And so I'm pleading with us that we're not concerned with our own selves, but we're concerned about making disciples. Be willing to give up what we need to give up. Be willing to show up when we need to show up and be willing to help others when they need help. Inattention to results. Let me conclude by saying this. We can't do this alone. God put this team together. I love this team. And again, I don't want this to be discouraging to people. But I want us to think about this. Do you see this here? And if so, then what do we need to do about it? Absence of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, inattention to results. We need each other. One last Olympic illustration. USA runner Abby, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Diagostino, I think it is, and Nikki Hamblin of New Zealand.
They collided. They were running the 5,000-meter race. It's a long time to run. They collided, and they both fell down, thereby making it impossible for them to win the race. And what you see in the screen there is you see Nikki Hamblin on the track from New Zealand, and you see Abby D'Agostino from USA reaching down and helping her opponent up. And she, she, later on, we found out from Nikki what, she, what Abby was saying to her. She said, get up, get up, we have to finish this. So there comes a time when we put aside personal ambitions. Abby put aside the USA logo on her uniform to help a fellow runner who had a different logo, a different flag. There comes a time where we put aside personal ambitions, personal affiliations, preferences, and we just help each other reach the finish line, hobbling if necessary. And I think we can do that here. And I think that we have it by God's grace that we are a church that can do exactly this. And how do I know that? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has begun a great work here. And he will bring it to completion. And let us not get distracted by external attacks or by these dysfunctions that plague us. So what am I asking us to do today? I'm asking us to rally around our purpose. Let's be committed to making disciples. Let's make that our life's pursuit of bringing people to Jesus. And as you consider that, ask yourself this question. What's robbing me of joy? They say, no, Jeremy, why would you want me to ask myself that question? Very simply, grumpy people don't make disciples. What's robbing you of your joy? That's what's keeping me from jumping wholeheartedly into the ministry of disciple-making here at our church. By God's grace, this partnership will be held together by grace, forged by God for the purpose of making disciples. And he will bring it to completion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to look at this text. And I pray that we would be a team that takes our purpose and runs with it and that we are willing to sacrifice and we realize that you have put us here together and we thank you for that and I pray that we would press on held together by your grace and help us to put aside these things that would distract us. As Hebrews says, laying aside every weight and the sins that so easily beset us. Let's run with patience. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we look to you, Jesus. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand.